This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, hello, Brandon Harvey here with this week's episode of Sounds Good, the podcast where every single Monday I sit down with an inspiring person and talk about happiness, overcoming struggles, and living a life of intentionality and wonder. This week, I'm so excited to share a conversation I got to have with Nancy Lublin. Nancy is the CEO of Crisis Text Line, a nonprofit organization providing free crisis intervention via text messages. And she was the creator of Dress for Success, a nonprofit organization that provides professional attire for low-income women to help support their job search and interview process. Her work has been recognized with all kinds of awards and honors, including being named as one of Fortune's world's 50 greatest leaders, Marie Claire's 20 Women Changing the World, and Schwab's Social Entrepreneurs of the Year. She's also a two-time TED speaker. It's amazing. This was such a fun conversation, and I loved getting to talk to Nancy, so let's just jump straight into it. All right, I am on the line with the amazing Nancy Lublin. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So... I was doing some research on you in preparation for this podcast, which I I know sounds like scary. Um, But one of the things that I read that really stuck out to me was the fact that, and I didn't know this before, is that you started a nonprofit called Dress for Success at the age of 23. And now Dress for Success is huge, but it blew my mind that that you started that at 23. I'm 24 years old. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. You better get busy. I know, right? I got to find a time machine. (laughs) Yeah, I think actually some of the best stuff really is started by people in their 20s. I mean, Google, Amazon, uh, I mean, all of it, Facebook, um, so many great things happen from people in their 20s. I think in part because like you don't have a mortgage, you don't have kids, Um, you don't need as much sleep (laughs) Um, and um, you don't know how it's been done before. So you don't even know that you're breaking tradition. You're just doing something that makes sense. So I, I didn't realize that it was such a crazy thing to do when I was 23. It's just, I just did it. Like I didn't think about, I don't know. I didn't think about uh, it in perspective at all. I just, I just did it. Yeah, you just kind of saw an opportunity. And what were you doing at the time? You, you're 23, so had you just finished college? No, I had, I had done college and graduate school, and I was suffering in law school. Oh, I was miserable. my goodness. Wow. Yeah, I was really miserable in law school. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think Dress for Success saved me as much as I built it. I mean, it, it, I, I hated law school. Did you finish law school? Well, eventually. I eventually. Um, I dropped out after my second year, which 
is so silly because there's only one year left after that. Mm. Law school is three years. I dropped out after my second year and did Dress for Success full-time. And then eventually I did go back and finish, but it took me a couple of years to finish because I took like a course here and a course there. I, 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 I took them at the business school at NYU and mm. transferred the credits. Like it was... It's really kind of a mess, but I did eventually graduate. So technically, I was on the six-year plan for law school. There we go. As long as you finish it, <laughs> I do have a, a law school degree, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I know that there's a little bit of an interesting story behind Dress for Success and some of the money that went into it coming from your late great grandfather. Kind of how did that come to be? Yeah, I mean that's where the whole thing started. So I was unhappy in law school and it was February and cold and rainy. And I came home and there was an envelope in the mailbox made out to me with the return address from a lawyer in Hollywood, Florida. Oh, wow. Pretty random, right? You don't even know there is a Hollywood in Florida. <laughs> and I carefully opened up the envelope thinking, crap, is somebody suing me? Like, who? why am I getting a letter from Hollywood, Florida? And inside was a check made out to me for $5,000 from the estate of my great-grandfather. Wow. And he had died years earlier, so I wasn't surprised about that part, but the check was a surprise. Um, you know, he was that amazing person in my family who, like, walk uphill both ways, barefoot kind of thing. He was that Horatio Alger character who came to America with nothing. I mean, wow. nothing. Through Ellis Island, the whole American dream story. And it was pretty weird to get a windfall from his death. I, I hadn't earned it. And... With the check in my hands, I had the idea for Dress for Success. I wanted to do something to honor his memory, and and America made it possible for him to like reclaim his dream and get his family started here, and I wanted to help other families get started. And so Dress for Success was essentially um, when people wanted to go in for a job interview to kind of advance their career, to take a step, to kind of grasp an opportunity, but they didn't have the resources, namely the the clothes to go in for that interview, that's where you guys kind of came in and filled the gap. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we partnered with other not-for-profits. So we partnered with domestic violence shelters and job training programs and homeless shelters. And so they referred clients to us. So it wasn't like anybody could just walk in off the street. They were people who were in programs and ready to go for job interviews that might change their lives. Mm. And so they came, our, our clients come to us and still at Dress for Success, that's how it works. Clients come by referral only. That wow. way, basically, at Dress for Success, we were screening, and they still screen the partner organizations, not the individuals, so that every individual who comes through the door, you could celebrate and not judge and just give the, the best possible attention to that person. That's really, really cool. You mentioned your great-grandfather about how you know he kind of inspired you to take action on this, but... Uh, this isn't the only thing that has a huge impact on other people that you've done in your career. In fact, your whole kind of career has been marked by these ways that you've, uh, that you've kind of gone on to find ways to change the world. What else in your upbringing do you think inspired that? Yeah, I've kind of always done this kind of stuff. Um, I like to say that I was, I was born in a mixed from, of a mixed marriage. Um, now my parents are both Jewish, but one of them was a Republican, like a Goldwater Republican, and the <laughs> other one was a real, like, Carter Democrat. Wow. Um, yeah, so, uh, and they were really switched on to politics and things going on, and so you were expected to come to the dinner table prepared 
to talk or debate to be more accurate. And we always watched, you know, we watched Walter Cronkite and then Dan Rather on the news together every <laughs> night. And, um, and yeah, we were, we, we read the newspaper in the morning. I mean, we were really, um, engaged. And I think from a young age, I always felt like I was part of the world, right? Mm. And that all this stuff going on wasn't happening to other people. It was happening to us and that I could be part of those solutions. So, um, I've been starting things since, I was very little and before I really understood what it was before anybody knew what an entrepreneur was or how to spell it. I was just kind of doing it. You're like, Oh, I see an issue in the world or I see not even an issue, but a solution in the world. And you were just kind of like, well, I can, I can do that. And you're plugging yourself into it. And you mentioned this earlier, but there's kind of a sense of optimism and just thinking, well, like, why can't I like, why not? Yeah. I think it's naivete. I think is the best word for it. I think I'm just, I think I have just always believed that I could do something that mattered. I have, I could be wrong, but, um, I've always kind of believed that in acting rather than waiting for someone else to act. And so, um, yeah, I, and it's not so, all the, it's, it's also not so conscious, like conscious mm. rather. I, I just, sometimes I just kind of leap in. It gets me in trouble sometimes. Well, I mean, I don't think that's the worst kind of trouble to get into. <laughs> it's true. There's my vice. My vice is that I like to jump in and try and make a difference. That, I like that. I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I'm like kind of square. But yeah, that's my vice. That's good. <laughs> okay, so then tell me about the transition from Dress for Success to where you later became the CEO of Do Something. What was it like to kind of let go of this thing that you'd created at such a young age and jump into something that uh, you did not create for yourself? You know, on the face of it, it was incredibly healthy, right? Like on the face of it, it was, I built this thing and I left of my own volition. Like there's no crazy story there. And I left it with money in the bank and a solid team in place. And then I took some time, I got married and then I went to do something.org. But the reality of it is it was really hard <laughs> and I, I left and the next day, I mean, I gave notice, but when I, when I actually left after my last day of work at, at Dress for Success, the next day I went to Australia for three weeks because <laughs> I just looked down the globe and was like, well, that's the farthest I can possibly go. So I don't just show up at the office and bother them. Oh so my I gosh. did that. I like, I like basically forced, you know, secluded myself. Um, and I still have dreams about dress for success all the time. Like, um, and it's this recurring dream where I show up to work at dress for success and I'm walking from office to office, um, asking, have you seen my pants? Have you seen my pants? Because I'm not wearing any <laughs> pants. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it seems like I handled it really well, but I think I still have some separation anxiety over it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, naked stress dreams. There you go. Naked, naked stress, stress dreams. dreams. Okay, and then do something, it seems, is the very first place that you started playing with the idea of text messages, or at least that's kind of maybe the beginning of uh, what spawned into you know the venture that you're at now. Tell me a little bit about um, the work that you were doing at Do Something. Yeah, Dress for Success was really analog. You know, it was all about people. And Do Something was the first time that I really started thinking about products and technology to solve organizational issues, um, issues of scale. So I inherited Do Something. It was, it had been a thriving organization and then it had collapsed. 
So they had just laid off 21 out of 22 people. Oh, wow. They were in debt. They lost their office space. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. And, um, and I came there and I said, I'm, this was 2003. So this is the year after Friendster and actually the year before Facebook. Hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm going to put this all on the internet. Like that's the best way to reach young people. And I'm going to close down any remaining local offices. And the board was pretty shocked. And they actually had a meeting without me by phone to discuss whether or not they, they made the right choice or they should get <laughs> rid of me. Um, and I was like, just give me six months. We'll see how this goes. And, um, yeah, when I left 12 years later, um, it's the largest organization for young people in social change. It's got 5.7 million members. It's, it's bigger than the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts combined. Whoa. So, um, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the trick to that, um, really was, is using technology. So, um, uh, first we concentrate on the web and having like a, a website back in, you know, 2003, 2005, those days. And then I was on a call, I think it was 2008, and I saw a whole bunch of employees through my little glass door high-fiving each other and hugging. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what has happened? What's going on? <laughs> and um, they had pulled 500 of our, pe- our young people's mobile numbers from our database. And these were what I would call defunct users, people who we'd probably emailed 20 times over a six-month period and not heard anything back. And they texted them. And in nine minutes had a 20% response rate. It was massive. That's unreal. Yeah. And so we realized, holy cow. Yeah. So these, these just two entry level, just kids on the team came up with a basically an entirely new strategy for do something to pivot to. And so we did. I said, we're going to change everything and that's the direction we're going to go in. And really that was the secret to do something's huge scale. I think the trick sometimes as a leader is to, you know, have people who are smarter than you around you (laughs) and then just know when to have the courage to listen to them and go right Mm. like that kind of an experiment i'm grateful that we had an environment where anybody could experiment like that and you could you were encouraged to try new things and then i'm also grateful that i listened and said okay now let's go that direction I think people often think that leadership is about deciding everything yourself and like picking the right way to, to go. But sometimes it's about having the, creating an environment with enough freedom for other people to dream and, and imagine, and then having the courage to back them. And it really did pay off. You know, I remember years ago, somehow, you know, throwing my phone number into the system and getting these texts that were really engaging and they, you know, they push me to take action. And there's something about my generation, this generation, that actually wants to make a difference in the world. Um, and not in a hokey, cheesy way. Just they want to be able to, like, get their hands dirty and, and be a part of fixing the things that are that are broken in the world and really, like, pushing forward on the things that are working awesome. And I remember thinking that that was cool. I think that's right. I think I, I, I think that's right. I think... Um... Um, young people really do want to do things. They want to do something. They want to be part of the solution. That's right. What was one of your favorite projects that you worked on at Do Something? Like one of your favorite campaigns that Do Something rallied people around for? Oh gosh, there's so many campaigns that I loved at Do Something. Boy, there's one that I'm actually going to do with my kids um, soon, uh, which is called Teens for Jeans that was created by Aria Finger, who's actually now the CEO over there. She replaced me. Oh, wow. And she created a campaign. Yeah, she created a campaign called Teens for Jeans, 
Um, they, basically, she called all the youth shelters in the country and said, what do you need? What's the first thing that kids ask for when they get to a shelter? And it turns out it's jeans. They want to look just like every other kid. You don't have to wash jeans after everywhere. In fact, they're, they're better if you don't wash them for a couple mm -hmm. weeks. And they, they work, you know, four seasons of the year. They're pretty great. So, um, and we launched a campaign called Teens for Jeans and have now collected millions and millions of pairs of jeans for homeless shelters, which the shelters often use as kind of a lure to get kids into the shelters. Like, hey, you know, um, if you sleep in our shelter tonight or if you take this course, we'll give you these jeans. Um, it's, it's pretty great. That's incredible. That campaign. And it's still yeah. going or you're just doing it with your kids? Oh, no, they still do it. They still do it. My, my, what's nice now is my kids, my personal kids, are now old enough to be looking at do something campaigns, which is really fun for me. Wow. So now I'm just a parent. That's cool. You're a parent that's probably glad that there's something like do something out in the world. But you just happen to be the one who, who made it happen. <laughs> I'm no longer the CEO there. I'm just a parent. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's talk a little bit about Crisis Text Line. I am a huge fan of Crisis Text Line. Tell me about the discovery that led to creating this. Thanks. Yeah. So once again, this is just an unexpected thing. I mean, because we did so much text messaging at Do Something, every time we'd send out a campaign like Teens for Jeans, you know, huge open rates, hundreds of thousands of kids participating, but then there would be these couple of dozen out of flow messages back having nothing to do with homelessness or jeans or anything like that, but things about from individuals about being bullied or being drug addicted. And we would send back, here's a hotline number, or maybe you should talk to your mom, those kinds of things. And then we got a message from a girl that was not like those other messages. It was really even more horrific. And, um, I don't know, I guess the word is shocking. Um, it literally said, he won't stop raping me. It's my dad. He told me not to tell anyone. And then the letters, are you there? It was, mm, wow. it was like being punched in the stomach. It was awful. And um, we sent her the phone number for Rain, a terrific rape and incest organization. I came into work the next day and say, said, hey, what happened? Did we hear back from her? No. And I said, send it to her again. And the truth is I, I've pulled her number and I've tried to call her and text her multiple times in the last five years and have never heard back from her. I, I don't know if she's dead or alive. I don't know if she has a different cell phone number. I don't know if her father saw that message. And um, I had a couple of sleepless weeks and then came up with the idea for Crisis Text Line. I said, look, if, if kids want to talk to us about this stuff by text, maybe we should build something by text. And um, I originally thought it would be part of DoSomething.org, and I brought it to the board, and they said, no, this really isn't what we do, and this is going to create some brand confusion. So if you want to do this, Nancy, that's fine, but you got to do it on the side. So um, so I did. It was kind of my side hustle for a while. I did both jobs full-time for um, a while, a couple mm. of years, and then um, finally... Um, switched over to just, I, I left do something and, and came here to Crisis Text Line and now I have, I have one job. I'm so glad that you started that. And it's really, you know, when I first found out about Crisis Text Line a few years ago, I thought that that was a really powerful tool. And of course, I've heard of, you know, Suicide Hotline and, um, and these other things, but there's something really unique about the ability to text. Like that story of that girl, um, there's no way that 
if she's worried about her dad finding out that she's going to be able to make a phone call, um, like in the same way that she was able to just send that quick text. There's something really important about that. It's true. Text is anonymous. It's private. It's quiet. So we get people texting us from the back of biology class or during lunch period in the cafeteria. You know, while surrounded by people, they're telling us these very intimate things. Um, you can keep it on your phone so you could read the encouraging validation again later. And that, you know, makes you feel those good things again later. So you can keep the, the thoughts, the warm, fuzzy thoughts. Um, it's, it's pretty terrific. Uh, and it, it turns out that people really are sharing with us. Um, first of all, it spread very quickly from the day we launched on August 1st, 2013. It was only four months until we were in all 295 area codes in the United States. Um, so wow. it was just very, very fast geographic virality. And then the kinds of things that we heard, I think people thought we were going to get lots of prank textures and, we don't really. We thirty percent of our messages are about suicide and depression, and then after that, the next popular issues are anxiety um, and uh, family issues. So we get we hear a lot of real intense crises from people in pain. Wow! And something that I found to be really interesting about Crisis Text Line is that you guys are taking all of the data from these conversations and you're using it essentially for good. It's anonymous data, but you're figuring out ways that you can apply this to this and that, and you're figuring out ways to communicate with these people better. Um, you, I'm sure you can explain it way better than I can. Um, what's some of the most interesting things that data is showing you? Oh my gosh, so many interesting things. Just here's one from yesterday. So yesterday we learned that conversations where we um, give people exercises during the text exchange rate higher. So if we say, Hey, while we're texting back and forth, how about taking five deep breaths? Go, mm. you know, that those conversations rate much higher than if we just help them sort of with, um, nice words and, um, coping skills to implement on their own after they're done texting with us. Their physical body is kind of getting into it. Kind of, and during the during the actual like while, during the exchange, so that mm. was a really interesting learning. Um, we've our algorithm has picked up all kinds of words and um, abbreviations and hashtags that symbolize different things that I never knew. Like, do you know what hashtag KMS is? No. That's kill myself. Oh wow! Um, which we didn't know, but our algorithm yeah. fortunately has picked up. Um, and what do you think the most high risk words are that when we see them, these words are most likely for us to end up having to trigger an active rescue and call 911 because there's imminent risk. What do you think? What do you think are the most high risk words? I mean, my go-to thought would be like kill or uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What is it? Yeah. We assumed they would be words like die, suicide, overdose. We thought those would be the biggest words. Turns out words like ibuprofen, aspirin, Tylenol, Advil, those are actually the most high risk words because those suggest that someone doesn't just have the idea and a plan to die by suicide. They have the means because everybody has that in their house and the timing because it's right there in the medicine cabinet. You don't need a prescription. Mm. So, um, that's, 
that that's the that's some of the most high risk words we see, which was which is wow. like this is all stuff that by applying basically science and technology by uh, collecting, storing, and analyzing the data, we get smarter and we get more effective as an organization. Yeah. So when when one of those words like tips off your system early on, and you're like, oh, this this is like a suicide risk, and they haven't even said suicide yet. What does that allow you to do better? Like, what's the kind of the action step that kicks into play there? So we literally code the conversation orange on the back end. It becomes number one in the queue. So that person gets help much more quickly. And um, the crisis counselor sees that it or- it's orange. So they probably, you know, really focus. And our supervisors see that there's an orange, a flagged conversation. And so they pay attention to that and watch that conversation too. So it's actually not one person who's helping you. It's an algorithm, a crisis counselor, and a supervisor. Mm. I would imagine that running something like Crisis Text Line and then contributing as a counselor um, in addition to that takes a great deal of empathy. Have you had any interactions with people um, as you've been like logged in as a counselor uh, where you've just kind of felt uniquely qualified to kind of communicate with this person and to, uh, to really empathize with where they're at. So I'll confess, I was really nervous to get on the platform. Like it was one thing to start the organization. I know how to do that. I know how to run companies. I know how to build products. I know how to hire people and fire people and set procedures in place. Like those things were easy to me. I was really scared to get on the platform. And it wasn't until this past May that I actually got on the platform. One of our employees said to me, Nancy, the community needs to see you on there. You need to start taking conversations. Come get on the platform. And she was totally right. And so I did. But I was nervous. I was nervous I wouldn't have the empathy or that I wouldn't be strong enough to deal with some of the tough stuff we see. And I love it. I am totally hooked and into it. It is the greatest thing I've ever done. And yeah, there have been conversations where I feel so connected. I've had a few conversations with moms who just feel like they're at their wits end and they're exhausted and they don't know what to do. And so um, those have been amazing. I've had conversations with um, just, oh my gosh, so many, just such a range of, of people, no stereotypes. Like truly it's all, no one is facing just one challenge. Usually people face more than one challenge. Mm. And, um, you know, don't make any assumptions about anyone. None of it is what you see, what, what it seems. People are facing battles every day that we just don't know about. And it's incredible that strangers are turning to other strangers in these most dire moments and sharing these most personal things. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's the truest form of altruism I've ever experienced or witnessed. You know, you're going to help this stranger in this really tough moment, and then you're never going to talk again. And they're not going to send you a thank you note. Like, that's not why you're doing this. You're just doing it because it's the right thing to do, and you can help. It's amazing. That's beautiful. I, I actually applied to be a crisis text line counselor. Um, I haven't been, I haven't been accepted yet. Um, okay. and I definitely haven't gone through the training because I haven't been accepted yet. And I don't know <laughs> if I'll get accepted. It's not for everybody. Not everybody gets accepted. It's not for everybody. And not everybody makes it through training. Like it's actually, yeah. it would be easier to get into, I think, most colleges in the United States <laughs> than, than to, to do this. It's, it's really, it's hard. But if you do, boy, I'll tell you, you're going to love it. Good. I, yeah, I applied knowing that, 
you know, you guys only accept a small number of people or a small percent of people. Um, and that, you know, it is hard to go through the process. And I figured, you know, if I'm not a good fit, then I don't want to like sneak into the process. Um, but if I am, you know, I want to be able to uh, use whatever abilities I I have to kind of do that, but it's so great because you can do because you can you do the training from anywhere, like on your couch eating Doritos, and you can help people <laughs> from anywhere. Like it's the most convenient volunteer service ever. You can do it in your jammies. That's amazing. If I were to get accepted, what should I expect from like a? What would my experience be? You know, I log into the system. What am I going to see in a in a typical session of work? Thirty four hour online training that includes quizzes and role plays. And you'll be assigned a coach who stays with you through that whole process and even through getting on the platform. So um, so if you pass training and you, you make it through everything and you're feeling good, then you get onto the platform. And at that point, we, we think of you as a baby chick. In fact, when you're on the platform internal to us, the texters don't see this, but we all see this and we see each other's names this way. There'll be a little baby chick next to your name <laughs> uh, so that we can easily see who is brand new. Um, and there are different levels. Crisis counselors, once you've handled certain numbers of conversations, you move up um, to different levels. Uh, in fact, we're about to launch level five. That's the big secret around here. We're going to do that on February 1st. Level five is coming. And um, that's a thousand conversations. We have Whoa. a handful of crisis counselors, yeah, who have taken 1,000 conversations, helped 1,000 people, which is just amazing. So for somebody who's a counselor on the back end, you know, they're experiencing a lot of heavy things. And, you know, I'm sure this is true for you too, because this is your job. Experience a lot of heavy things. What's the best way to like take care of yourself, to not be overwhelmed by, by dealing with these heavy things that people are, are bringing up and talking about? So self-care is a huge part of what we do and we require it of all of our volunteers. It's actually in the training. You make a self-care plan for yourself and then we ask you to stick by it. That's part of the commitment you're making Mm. to us is that you'll take care of yourself because, you know, you can't pour water from an empty glass. So um, it's a huge part of what we do. Um, And then we also are here to support each other. So both on the platform and off the platform, on the platform, there are chat rooms right there to debrief or to talk about random stuff um, to support each other. Friendships are made. We have a, a very vibrant, closed Facebook group with a couple thousand people in there who are always supporting each other. Um, it's a pretty incredible community. I mean, I... I, I was never part of a, a sorority. I, I, I sort of, I have a small family. Um, this is like the closest I've ever felt to rolling with a posse. Oh, you know? <laughs> that's so sweet. So you've learned a lot about kind of helping people on their heaviest days and, and your team and the algorithms have done that. What are some of the practical concepts and ideas that you've learned that others could kind of take and use in person with their loved ones who are, you know, going through a crisis? Well, not just other people, but I've learned a whole bunch of sort of Jedi mind tricks while being at Crisis Text Line that I've used too. I've got, I've got two kids. So here's a couple of them. Um, never ask why questions. Why mm. questions kind of sound condescending and accus- like, they, like you're accusing someone like, why would you do that? Or why did you make that decision? Instead, ask what, how, when, where, who. There's so many other good questions you can ask that open up specific information coming back and feel more collaborative. So just 
Forget the why questions. It's a really good one. And try and also avoid yes or no questions because those are limiting also. They don't really open up conversation. So I try and end, um, I try and, and avoid those types of questions. Um, smart, proud, and brave are pretty fantastic words. Um, those are three of the most powerful words we've identified in bringing people from hot to cool. So yeah, we have a whole bunch of tricks of the trade over here. That's beautiful. I love that. That's really important. So you started Dress for Success. You worked at Do Something. You're currently at Crisis Text Line. What do you feel like is the big common thread between these things besides the fact that, you know, they're making a difference in the world? And where do you see that taking you in the future? You know, what's something that that one day you'd like to uh, make an impact with specifically? Or, you know, do you think that you'll you'll kind of stay here for, for a lot longer? You know, on the face of it, there's not much in common, right? It's welfare to work, it's mental health, it's teenagers. Like, there's not really a common thread there, except that all three of these organizations are about helping other people reach their full potential mm. and help themselves. So Dress for Success didn't give you the job. It gave you the confidence and the outfit to go score that job for yourself. And DoSomething.org gives you hundreds of campaigns to choose from for you to do your own community service. And Crisis Text Line, we're not solving your problem for you. Or we're, you know, we can't, we can't stop the opioid addiction. We can't, um, you know, be the ones to, um, to cure your depression. But what we can do is help you get from a hot moment to a cool moment and help you figure out some coping skills to get yourself to a good place. I think in a weird way, that's like the combination of my Republican dad and my Democrat mom. <laughs> is the, um, the, the sort of the top-down solutions, bottom-up solutions. I'm sort of in the middle. I'm like, I'm really a fierce independent where the whole thing mm. is about fostering individuals' independence and the ability for them to thrive. I think that's everything that I've done. I think, I think that's what it's all about. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And I have no idea what's next. <laughs> and I'm not thinking about it yet. I am at the bottom of the mountain here at Crisis Tech Line. There's a lot more to do. There's more pain out there. And we want to help more and more people. I'd like to bring this to other countries where there's yeah. really no mental health services and nothing like this. And it might be dangerous to talk about some of these issues. So I'm really excited to bring this to other countries. Um, I am really not, I am not thinking beyond that. I'm trying to get through, you know, um, algebra with my sixth grader. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm really very focused on what's happening right now. <laughs> that is so exciting. I love that. I love that. Algebra is hard. Oh yeah. Algebra is hard. <laughs> I was just thinking yesterday about how, when I had to take another algebra class in college, um, about how that was like the worst class I ever had to take in college. Right? Yeah, I sort of <laughs> capped out at fourth grade math. She's she's way, she's ahead of me. Um, I think now is a perfect time to transition into the part of the show where every single episode I love to ask my guests a few of my favorite questions. And my first question is, how would you describe the kind of person that you most admire in the world? <sighs> I really admire people who are kind above everything else like mm. and and selfless i mean i 
I know everybody really admires Nelson Mandela. I totally get that. He was amazing. But I, I admired him because of his ability to forgive, you know, that he came out of um, Robben Island and being incarcerated for 27 years and able to forgive his captors and actually um, led a transition into power, like in partnership with um, the white minority that, that um, oppressed him and his people. Like, I, I just think that was, that's, Talk about putting the system and what's good and right above yourself and your own needs. Um, it's pretty incredible. So I think those are the people I admire most. Um, they don't judge. They're selfless. They're kind. Um, they're, they're forward thinking. Um, those are, I guess those are the traits that I admire most. That's beautiful. I love that. Plus people who are able to eat as much as they want and remain thin. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Uh, what's something that you're consuming that you love right now? I mean, besides coffee ice cream? Yeah, right, exactly. Ice cream. Okay, right. So um, I, right now my husband and I are binging Orphan Black. Oh, nice. I haven't seen it. I've, oh my gosh. That actress is incredible her range and ability to keep all these characters um so clear and defined it's really like watching different actors she is it's just it's watching talent like this um on the screen it's just we have i just i mean the storyline it's a little crazy and all that stuff but watching (laughs) her acting ability is just joy it's really i'm really having fun watching orphan black that's really good it's a great recommendation what's something scary that you've done recently something that freaked you out but you did it anyway um besides standing on a scale because it's january (laughs) um let's see um and besides algebra with my daughter um those are those are both pretty scary to me let's see standing on a scale doing doing algebra when i know that my daughter knows it better than i do boy other scary things i mean i think i make scary decisions at work all the time i Mm. i sort of you know, um, venture into the unknown. We're doing a lot of things for the first time, um, having hard conversations with people. Sometimes those are still scary, but, um, absolutely worth doing. Firing people is always scary. And yet afterwards, you're always glad you did it. Like that's worth doing, Mm. believe it or not. That's a little counterintuitive and strange. Um, yeah, no, like jumping off mountains or like holding snakes for me. (laughs) I'm, that's not, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm at an age where that's not really happening much. And I think I'm just chicken shit. I don't want to hold a snake. <laughs> yeah, no, me neither. Let's be real here. Let's be real. <laughs> My final question is, based on the ways you've chosen to step out and live your life differently, what's one thing you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life today? So my personal motto is to never be too proud or too busy to stop and pick up a penny in the rain. I just think there's opportunity everywhere as long as you're not too busy to see it and humble enough to go for it. And um, yeah, that's my that's how I live my life. That's really good. I love that that is practical because then you're collecting a lot of pennies, but it's <laughs> it's a lot deeper it's than true. that. This I, 
It's so funny you should say that. I have pennies in the pockets of like every jacket and pair of pants. It's totally true. I do because I will stop. I will take this literally and stop like in the middle of Seventh <laughs> Avenue and pick up a penny while oncoming traffic is bearing down on me. Yes, Be- because it's kind of like on principle, you have to do it in the smallest scale way so I that do. you can That's be right. in the moment and when, you know when something bigger is happening in life and truly be present and truly pay attention to the opportunities coming your way um, and not let the the busyness or or anything else stop you from doing that. That's right. Nailed it. That's beautiful. Well, this has been seriously so fun. For people who want to get involved or find out more about Crisis Text Line or maybe even reach out, um, tell us a little bit more about how people can do that. Yeah, so if you want to be a crisis counselor, that information is at crisistextline.org. Please apply. We definitely need more crisis counselors. It's a great way to volunteer. And all of you guys listening are like a perfect fit. I really feel like it. Like you guys are so empathetic and caring and man, it'd be so fun to see you guys sign up. That would be awesome. And then if if maybe it's not for you, but you just want to promote Crisis Text Line, the number, uh, again, in the USA is 741-741. You can text that. It's 24-7. And please spread the word. You know, share it on Tumblr, on, make a little Instagram about it, tweet about it. But it's, it's Crisis Text Line, and the number is 741-741. It's for all ages, all crisis issues, 24-7. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing your story and the amazing things that you're doing. I love it. And I'm just so glad we got to do this. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to each and every one of you who tuned into Sounds Good this week. I love hearing all of your favorite quotes and thoughts about the podcast every week on Twitter and Instagram and over email. I read everything. If you ever want to get in touch, share something that stood out to you, or join the community, please just follow along at at Brandon Harvey. That's Brandon with an E-N. And if you ever have feedback about the show, ideas for future inspiring guests, or if you just want to say hi, you can totally shoot me an email at brandon at brandonharvey.com. And along those same lines, have you signed up for the good newsletter yet? I know it can sometimes feel like the bad things happening in the world are completely overwhelming. But the truth is that there is always good happening behind the scenes. It's just not always fully visible. It's not always just right in front of our eyes. And so that's why I started the good newsletter. It's a simple weekly email where I send out five hopeful news stories that you might have missed in the craziness of everything that's happening in the world. Join the community of optimists and world changers who are already subscribed to the good newsletter at goodnewsletter.org. And don't forget that this week and every week you can find and share the episode page for this week's episode of Sounds Good at soundsgoodpodcast.com. This show, Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey, is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and is created in collaboration between Gradient and I. And with all that, that is a wrap for this week's podcast. I'll see you around the internet and I'll talk to you next week when we get the opportunity to learn from another inspiring person. Sound good?